This week we're going to start a two-week series on, on Noah and the flood, Noah and the ark, uh, and singing songs that lift up God's grace and mercy and kindness and tenderness may seem out of place, but I hope that at the end of this two-week series we're see, we will see how God's mercy is lifted up in the midst of this story. So if you would, pray with me. Father, we just thank you uh, for today. We thank you for this time we have together to, to worship your name, to worship you in song, to worship you in studying and listening to and, and reading your word. Lord, I pray that you would shape us, that you would transform us, and that you would make us look more and more like Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, the Son of God. In his name we pray. Amen. So Randy and Kay send their greetings. Uh, they've begun their, their sabbatical time, and we're, we're praying that this would be a time of rest. It's, I'm grateful to have this opportunity to, to be able to uh, preach God's Word with you today. So as we, as we consider um, this study in Noah, I want us to just to think back to one of the greatest uh, cinematic achievements uh, of, of our lifetime, and that is the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, if you haven't seen that and you're like, oh, Hunter's doing another superhero analogy, here it is. But here it is. I am who I am. So in 2008, what began was really, it was really uh, remarkable because they, it was, Marvel was going out of business and, and it was this last ditch effort to, to uh, bring about this, this cinematic universe that would tell a story over, over, over a decade. And it began in the release of Iron Man. And at the end of that movie, Tony Stark, who's become Iron Man during the course of that movie, he reveals to the world his identity. So instead of keeping it a secret, he reveals it in a press conference when he says, the truth is, I am Iron Man. And it began. And Iron Man, Tony Stark, began to form the center of this universe that told the story of the Avengers. And over this decade-long story arc, you as the audience come to see this man grow into his identity of the selfless superhero Iron Man. And it's only fitting that his last words that he speaks as he gives his life in sacrifice uh, for humanity and to defeat the bad guy is the same words that kicked everything off. I am Iron Man. Because by the end, Tony Stark grows as a character and he knows who he is and who he's called to be as Iron Man and it's good for those around him. But that's a fictional story. It didn't really happen. But there is a grander story that is real that's being played out in the cosmos for all to see, and you are a part of it. And the question is, is who does God want you to be? Who has he called you to be to those around you in this current time in history? So as we're going to study Noah these next two weeks, I hope that we'll answer this question. And my hope is, is that we'll come to a better understanding of our identity in Christ, who we're called to be, and that we'll live out this calling to the glory of God and for the good of others. And there's no doubt that these times that we're living in are wicked times that needs God's people to rise up and be who they are called to be. Now, these wicked times are really nothing new. Ever since the fall of mankind... Mankind has been given to rebellion, given to sin, given to walking against God's way. So every, just like the people in Noah's day, the men and women today, are, their hearts are given to rebellion. This is true for this generation. It's true for the generation before this. It's true for the generation coming after us. It's true of every generation that has ever walked this earth. There is no good old days. 
every generation turns aside and is given over to rebellion. The sins might be different, but the heart of rebellion is just the same. So who does God want you to be? Well, let me tell you, He does not want an army of culture warriors to condemn in pride and arrogance those around them. He doesn't want recluses who seek to isolate themselves from any stain of the world where they, they don't engage in, with anyone who is other than them. No, in these wicked times, as in the day of Noah, God raises up His righteous followers to be vessels of mercy to those around them, even if the result is judgment. So who was Noah? When Noah was born to Lamech, he was the grandson of Methuselah, the great-grandson of Enoch, who walked with God and then was not. So Genesis 5 says that when Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son, and he called his name Noah. And Noah's name meant, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Because his name meant rest. So that's who Noah was born to be. Enoch had been prophesying about God's judgment, as Jude reveals, and he is been teaching the world that God's judgment is coming. Lamech, his grandson, has a son named Noah, who he prophesies will be one through which God would bring relief to the cursed land. So that brings us to Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. So if you look with me there, it says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Now, that Hebrew word that we've translated in English as regret doesn't, think, doesn't mean that God feels like he'd made a mistake, like God's will was somehow imperfect in creating humanity. No, what it means is that, in, in, in the language, is that he was deeply grieved in his heart. And it's really used in this kind of way two times of God in the Old Testament. And both of them have, have connotations to the deep grief God feels in judgment, in rejecting those who had every opportunity to pursue what was righteous, but still chose their sin anyways. It's used of these men and women in Noah's day, and it's used again of King Saul, whom God rejected to be king of Israel. So what it does is this word that we've translated regret, it communicates emotionally what God says explicitly in Ezekiel when he says that as I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. God had been moving towards humanity in, in mercy and in warnings uh, since the days of Enoch through Methuselah and through uh, Lamech and Noah, but they have continued in their wickedness and it was grieving, it grieved him to his spirit and that's why he says in verse 7 that I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens for I am sorry that I have made them verse 8 but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord in the midst of this great and wicked de- uh, generation God moved towards one man in mercy and grace look at verse 9 these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. Hebrews 11 reveals that this is the righteousness that comes through faith. He says he was blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. But make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. 
And this is how you are to make it. I'm going to translate some of these uh, units from cubits to feet. It says, The length of the ark is to be 450 feet, its width 75 feet, and its height 45 feet. And make a roof for the ark, and finish it to 18 inches above, and set the door of the, of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. God's grace. But I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall come into the ark, you and your sons and your wives, your wife and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, and of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive, and also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. And then verse 22, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Let's pray again. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would speak uh, to us through it. May we receive it by faith and live by it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we look at the story of Noah, to understand what God is trying to communicate to us through Genesis chapter 6, 7, and 8, we have to understand first and foremost that Noah anticipates a hero greater than himself. He anticipates Jesus Christ. Because all Scripture ultimately testifies of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So let's talk about how Noah points towards this greater Savior, this greater hero, who we know to be Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was born to the Virgin Mary in, in Bethlehem, who lived in Nazareth. So like Noah, Jesus was born with purpose. The angel, if you think of Matthew 1, he told Joseph to call his name Jesus. The Hebrew, uh, in the Hebrew, it would be Yeshua, because he was going to be the one who saved the people from their sins. And as he began his ministry, it was clear that God's favor rested upon Jesus. As he was baptized, the Spirit descends upon him, and you hear the Father say, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Noah did the work that God had prepared for him to do. He did it all, and he obeyed him, and it resulted in the salvation of humanity. Jesus Christ fulfilled the work that he had to do. John 17, he, all that the Father had given him to do, he did. He fulfilled the Old Testament law and the prophets. Every command obeyed, every prophecy lived out, every righteous requirement met, met and on the cross, every sin paid for. As Noah labored with gopher wood to build an ark to save his household, it was necessary that Jesus Christ would labor on a cross of wood in our place, bearing our sins, bearing our punishment to save the household of God. And as the flood waters receded and the ark landed, Noah burst forth out of that ark into the new life that, was, that God had prepared for him. Three days after Jesus' death, he burst forth out of that grave and he is alive forevermore. And he continues to preach righteousness as Noah was a preacher of righteousness, Second Peter says, through his, his spirit and dwelt church. And the, what we proclaim is the righteousness of God through faith to all who would repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ and be saved from the coming judgment of God, which is way worse than a global flood. But that's the beauty of the gospel, what we proclaim. And it's the same beauty that we see in this flood narrative. 
Noah's family was saved not because of anything in them, but because they were in relationship with Noah. They believed what he was saying, and they followed him into the ark. Our salvation is the same way. We are in relationship with Jesus Christ through faith. We're united with him in faith, and we follow after him. That is how we are saved. We contribute nothing to our salvation. We are all sinners, born children of wrath, gone astray. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, but are made righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's, it's through this uniting with Christ that we receive eternal life, that we receive our inheritance, and we, we grow in our relationship with Jesus so that we begin to reflect his image more and more. The good news of the gospel, Jesus Christ, is not about you. It's about Jesus. He is the hero. Our only hope is nothing in us but that we would be united with him in faith. That's it. So if we want to know the salvation that God has for us in Christ Jesus, we need to grieve our sin. It, we need to, the godly grief that leads to repentance. We have to hate the sin. Salvation is not about getting forgiveness and participating in your sin the same way. No, we have to grieve the sin and our participation in the wicked generation that we all live in, the wicked generation that we have all grown up in, which every human has grown up in. We have to grieve that our participation in that and turn from it, repent, and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe that he suffered in your place on that cross, that he died, the Son of God died, he was buried, and he was resurrected. That is what we believe, and we believe that he is coming back again to judge the living and the dead. We believe and we follow. We repent and we surrender. Noah's family had to believe Noah unite themselves with him, and walk with him into that ark. We have to believe Jesus Christ, believe the good news of Jesus, commit ourselves to him as Lord, confess him to be Lord of our lives, and follow him, and he will save us. And then you'll find rest for your souls and know the abundant joy of eternal life with God. More than anything that I'm going to tell you today, if you're not in Christ, believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the only hope that you have. Noah's generation thought there'd be another day for them. And there was. Until the day there wasn't. And God's judgment came. So do not be foolish like they were. At the end of this service, I want to give you a, a, a preview. We're going to have an invitation. We're going to sing a song, Nothing But the Blood. And I want you to think about this message. And I want you to think about what I'm going to say. Because if you're not in Christ Jesus, everything else I'm going to say from here on out really doesn't apply to you. Because it's about reflecting the character of Christ. And you can't reflect the character of Christ if you don't know Christ. So, listen. Believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ and come forward and tell someone about it. And we can walk with you in this. We're going to have that invitation today at the end of this service. Now, for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, one, rejoice in the gospel. The gospel should not be boring to you. It is, it is everything that we base our life on. We should live in that, and we should rejoice in that. It is the beginning and end of our faith. We're going to continually sing in eternity about the grace, grace, God's grace that was greater than all our sin, and he has saved us, and he has made us alive. The gospel should excite you. It should be the blood in your veins. And then think about this. As Noah, who was a type of Christ, he prefigured Christ. So when we read Noah, when we read people like Abraham, when we read people like David, they foreshadow someone who is greater to come. 
And they live lives of faith and they begin to reflect his character, anticipating what was greater to come in Christ Jesus. As followers of Christ now, we're called to post-figure Christ. Meaning that in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we are to let Jesus' life and character shine through us as we walk with him and live lives of faith. That's what Galatians 2.20 says. It's no longer I who live, but the life of Christ who lives in me, but he who lives in me. It is, I, it's the Son of God who is living in our lives. The Spirit indwells us, and he's conforming us into the image of Christ from one degree of glory to the next. So what does today's passage teach us about how to live a life of faith? How did Noah live in an example that points us to the example of Christ so that we can might model that and live a life of faith in the Lord? Well, the first thing that we see in Noah is that he believed God's word even when it was unfathomable to him. A worldwide flood is certainly unfathomable to our minds. We can't even think about it. We can't even picture what that would look like. And Noah couldn't either. But it was the word of God, the word that he had heard in his family for, for a long time. And as such, when God spoke it to him, he, he knew it would be true. He knew that it would come about, and he believed it, even when his mind could not grasp its reality. So my question is, too, is that where are you struggling to believe God's word? And this, and this is a, an honest question. We all struggle to believe God's word at times. In the trial, in the frustrations of life, there are times when we're looking at the words on the page and we're struggling to believe that they are true. Maybe you have, you have guilt, you're ridden with guilt, and you're struggling to believe that your sins are forgiven in Christ Jesus, wiped clean. Maybe you're struggling with addiction and you, you struggle to believe that you have been set free from the power of sin. Maybe you struggle in the midst of the trial and the heartache that God's grace is sufficient for you. Maybe you struggle to believe that God is with you or that he is even good or that he is sovereign or that all things work together for the good of those who love him or are called according to his purpose or that heaven is real and it's the greater home that we truly live for or that God hears your prayers or that true joy is found in walking in obedience to God or that those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Where are you struggling to believe God's word. Because what, Noah set, what set Noah apart from his generation was that he believed the word of the Lord and he lived and acted accordingly. If you want to know the joy and satisfaction and the fullness of life with Christ, take God at his word. Take him at his word. It is true, it is good, and it is right. Believe it when you don't feel like it. Believe it when you're not sure, when you're doubting. I want you to take a moment and look at your handout. There's just a prayer I want to teach you. I want to give you the freedom to pray it as often as you want. And it's simple. It says this. You can write it down. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. You know what? It's okay to pray that. It's okay to, to pray to the Lord saying, Lord, I trust you. Help me in my unbelief. In fact, it's good that you pray it. So if you have to be like the man who cried out to Jesus, saying, I believe, help my unbelief, do that. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord and the Word of God with your mustard seed faith. Trust Him with your limited perspective. Trust Him with your limited understanding. And just trust Him and His Word. God is faithful. He will meet you where you are, and He will help you 
in that moment. He will strengthen you. He will strengthen your faith, and he will, and he will bring you up in that. So believe. He will not let you down. And then walk with God. Noah walked with God. And God wants to walk with you. He does not hold his nose at you. He does not engage, in you, engage you relationally reluctantly. He loves you. He delights over you. It grieves his heart when judgment happens. He desires to be in fellowship with you. So walk with him. Abide in his word. Spend time with him in prayer. Spend time singing praises to his name throughout the day. And abide in his body, the local church. For in the church we see the fullest expression of God's indwelling ministry and he comforts his people through one another. You're a relationship. You're in a relationship with the God of the universe. And he loves you. So walk with him and then do the work that God has for you. No one knows how long it took Noah to build the ark, but I'm going to imagine it took a bit. It's a pretty big boat. I mean, it took those people in Kentucky like eight years to do it today. So it, it took a long time. And I imagine that the work that Noah had was tedious, it was monotonous, and it was difficult. But it was the work that God called him to, and in doing so, through his work, he became a vessel of mercy to humanity. What's the work that God has called you to? There's another diagram in your handout, and I want you to write your name in that center circle if you have a pen. And I want you to write in the three surrounding cir circles that what I can say for certain that is the three areas where God's calling rests upon you, no matter your relationship status. And they are ministry, the home, and your work. Ministry, we're all ministers of the gospel. Home, we all have a role to play in the households that we live in as a child, as a father, as a husband, as a wife, as a mother, as a grandparent, as a grandchild. We all play a role. We all have callings and expectations on us, how we live and act in the home, and then your work. And, and inevitably, there will be moments in each of these callings where the work that God has called you to is tedious, it's monotonous, and it's difficult. But it's the work that God has called you to. I'm certain, I'm certain that there were days when Noah woke up in his flesh and he did not want to hammer another nail into some gopher wood. That he did not want to lay another plank, get more splinters in his hand. Or, as being the preacher of righteousness that 2 Peter says that he was, he did not want to proclaim to these fools that were surrounding him that God was righteous, that judgment was coming, and that there was salvation available to them. There's not no fruit, but he pressed forward anyway. Maybe you're like that in a point of ministry where you're just investing and you're investing and you just are longing to see some kind of fruit. You've been praying, 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 and you cannot see the other side of this, and you're just tired. The work is monotonous, and it's difficult. It's tedious. Press forward in that. Taylor and I are in one of those seasons now as parents. You know, we're parenting like heathen toddlers. And... <laughs> And seeking to bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. And it's tiring. It's exhausting. And it can be monotonous at times. I can't tell you how many times we have to answer a question. Or recorrect or redirect the same issue. 
And then this happens again. And honestly, many days, Taylor and I fall desperately short. I fall short more days than she does. The days are long, and the work is hard, and it seems like you're doing the same thing over and over again as parents. And as Taylor so wisely said, she said the other day, she says, if it's easy, then we're probably not doing it right. Parenting is the work that, Taylor has, I mean, that God has called Taylor and I to. You don't make disciples of your children in a day. It's the long, tedious, monotonous, and difficult work of investing God's word into them, disciplining them in love, and coaching them in the way that they are to go. It's like building an ark. Your work might be the same way to you right now. For some of you, the ark that God has called you to build right now is to be a teacher in the midst of a pandemic. To bring up kids in the knowledge in, in, in the training and instruction, all knowledge, all truth is God's truth. You're educating people. You're educating young people to help them be successful in this life. Image bearers who you want to see flourish. Or maybe you're upholding an already fragile healthcare system, working long shifts. Or you're working as a police officer or as a bus driver. Or whatever it is that God has called you to do in your profession during this exhausting season, whether you're retired, you're working 40 hours a week, 25 hours a week, or you're a stay-at-home mother or father. God is working through you during this time. God was not surprised by this pandemic. In fact, if you can believe it, He ordained it. Not only did He ordain this, this pandemic to happen at this particular time, He called you to be in the profession that you are currently in at this particular time for this particular season. It is not by accident that you, if you're a teacher that you're teaching in this moment in history. If you're a financial advisor that you're a financial advisor in this moment in history. God has purpose in it. And he has called you to it. So today, I want to challenge us. Today is not the day for the church to shrink back and grumble and complain. Laziness and grumbling have no place in the church of Jesus Christ. Is the work difficult? Yes. Is it monotonous and tedious at times? You bet. But it's the honorable work that God has given us to further his kingdom, mercy, and principles on this earth. And that is what your work is. As I said, whether you're a part-time, full-time, stay-at-home parent, or retired, your work is an avenue to bring about God's kingdom on earth. So when you do not want to do another e-learning day or another day putting your life on the line to serve and protect this community, or when you do not want to lovingly correct your child for the hundredth time, or you don't want to pray for that situation that seems way past hopeless, remember God is revealing His kingdom and His mercy and His righteousness and His justice through your work. His, he is with you and he will sustain you in the midst of it. Our callings in ministry, our callings in the home, and our callings at work are far too important for us to roll over and quit. Reflect on your callings and ask, what is the work that God has called me to do? And then pick up the hammer and do the work. That's what Noah did. And he became a vessel of mercy. 
Believe God's word that those who wait on him shall renew their strength. And then walk with God as you do his work. And then be a preacher of righteousness to those around you. Noah was a preacher of righteousness according to 2 Peter 2. And through Noah, the spirit of Christ preached to his generation who are now in chains, suffering God's judgment, 1 Peter 3. So during this time, Noah did not just build an ark. But as I've already alluded to multiple times, he proclaimed his gener- to his generation the righteousness of God, the coming judgment, and the ark of salvation. Unfortunately, no one listened except for his family. And that's, that's okay. That's not the point. Noah was faithful to do what he was called to do, and he trusted God with the results. As followers of Christ, we have the message of salvation. We've We've just finished up our our mission series. The first one was talking about how we connect people to Christ and His church. We have received grace upon grace from Jesus Christ. We have received His mercy that is greater than all of our sin, and we are called to be a vessel of mercy to those around us who proclaims the way to have peace with God and eternal life. You do not have to concern yourselves with the results. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. We are called to be faithful preachers of righteousness to those around us as Noah was even if they reject our message and experience judgment. We're called to love them, to seek their good. In doing that, we proclaim to them the good news of Jesus Christ. So in the end, as we see in Genesis chapter 6, having been made righteous through faith, Noah was not just building a vessel of mercy, but he was one. Through Noah's faith, his walk, his work, and proclamation... God revealed his mercy to the world. Though the end result was judgment for most all of them. So who does God want you to be in this generation? He doesn't want you to be a culture warrior. He doesn't want you to be a recluse. He wants you to be a vessel of mercy. If you're in Christ, you are a saint of God and called to be one, a vessel of his mercy. Tony Stark had a choice. Back to Tony Stark, I know. (laughs) He could be Iron Man and be a vessel of mercy, if you will, to those around him. Or he couldn't, he didn't have to be. You too are faced with a choice. To be a saint, you must repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. There is no other name given among men under heaven by which men can be saved. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. If you want to be made right and have peace with God, repent of your sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Follow Him. Walk with Him. And if you want to be a vessel of mercy in this world, which is who you're called to be, you must believe God's Word. You must walk with Him. Do the work that God has called you to, especially when it's tedious, monotonous, and difficult. And be a preacher of the righteousness that can only come through faith. It's our calling. It's glorious. Will you take it up? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for this time we have together as as the church. I pray that we would be faithful. I pray for those who are still walking in their sins. I pray that you would open their eyes to the truth, that you would shine the light of the glory of Jesus Christ into their hearts and that they would turn from their sins and believe in Jesus Christ. I pray that they would make that decision today. 
I pray for those who are walking with Christ, Lord. I pray that we would, we would be people who believe your word. Lord, help us when we do not, when we have unbelief in our hearts. That we would walk with you. Lord, help us to do the work that we have in front of us. Lord, this is a difficult season, overwhelming at times. Help us to wait on you and renew our strength. And help us to be diligent and faithful and obedient to do what you've called us to. And Lord, help us to proclaim the righteousness of God to those around us. Anoint our words. Give us effectiveness in ministry as we seek to share the gospel with our kids, with our grandkids, with our friends, with our coworkers, with our neighbors, with strangers that we run into, ordained opportunities by you. Lord, I pray that you would bless the gospel proclamation ministry of this church. And I ask this all in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.